Hey, St. John, welcome to the Post-Sermon Podcast. I am Deaconess Dahlia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, Deaconess. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing great. So today we are discussing your sermon from Sunday, Advent 3, and this is now the third image that we've had on Sunday. Um, so let's let's start and talk about the image that you chose for Sunday for your sermon. Yeah, so we were looking at uh, an image of Jesus and his mother Mary. That's We've been looking at different versions of that. Uh, but this week, uh, we have the addition of a, of a person, and that is Isaiah the prophet. This image comes to us, I think it comes from a monastery in Egypt from the 12 or 1300s. And so it's, it's a mural or, or something like that. So you said there's an addition of a person. It was Isaiah. And the Old Testament reading that we had was a very well-known one. It's Isaiah 40. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that specific text of Isaiah? Uh, yeah, Isaiah 40, it's a major transition in the book of Isaiah. Uh, some will try to, d- to divide the book and say the first 39 chapters are its own thing, and then the other part of the book is its own thing. Uh, but there is a change of of how the book goes is, is largely narrative in the first part of the book. And in the last part of the book, starting chapter 40 is it's poetry. So you can look at your English Bible and you can notice that difference there with your editors. And what is Isaiah 40 talking about? It is the beginning of a song and sometimes it's called the, the servant song. It is the beginning of how Yahweh is going to restore his people. Isaiah speaks explicitly of the comfort that is coming to Jerusalem, uh, the God who, who exiles his people on account of their sin, this God will bring them back. This God will atone for their sins. This God will cover their sins with his own blood. And uh, for the rest of the book, Isaiah sings of this gracious work of our God uh, through his suffering servant, who is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. In your sermon, you mentioned how Isaiah is like the fifth gospel. And uh, yeah, it's not me who said that. Uh, some church fathers oh, have said oh, that. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, I don't think I made that up. So it wasn't specifically you, but you got that from a church father. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just been a, a common attribution to Isaiah that, I mean, just how vividly he speaks of Christ. And to know he's writing 500 years before, it's it's, it's really incredible. And there's so much uh, comfort that you can derive from there. And it's it's as if Isaiah has eyes right on the scene of Christ's death and resurrection for us. Which then would make sense why the artist had Isaiah with Mary and Jesus yes. in the painting. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why we saved this image for that Sunday, knowing we'd have that Isaiah 40 reading, and you have Isaiah looking ahead and seeing uh, Mary holding her son, holding Isaiah Savior and Mary Savior, right? And in your sermon, I mean, the title of it, it's 500, 1,000, 2,000. So you have these different numbers and uh, I, I want to hear, why why did you choose these numbers? Uh, just practically, I chose those numbers that if you had those numbers, you would be able to k- take the sermon with you. And that Isaiah wrote his gospel 500 years before. <laughs> Sorry, not his gospel. Isaiah wrote his book 500 years before. Pretty much. Yeah, the events <laughs> of Christ. Uh, the painting that we're dealing with, the image, comes from 1200 to 1300 about 1,000 years, years afterwards. And then we're about 2,000 years after the events of Christ. And what's, and while these are different time periods, what's unique about all three is none of us were at the birth of Christ. None of us were at his cross. None of us got to walk into his empty tomb and see the angels say, hey, he's not here, he's risen. And so all of us 
we see the gospel from a distance, or we see the works of Christ from a distance. Um, Isaiah from the past, um, us in the future looking back on it. Um, and so there's a, there's a unique commonality we find amongst our brother Isaiah and our brother or sister who made the painting, and then us today as, as Christians, that uh, while we were not present for the actual Christ event, our faith and hope is in that event that has happened for us. There is this commonality that we have. We weren't there at Jesus' birth. But I think there's also a commonality that we are also waiting for Christ again, yes. even though at different periods of time and, and history, but still waiting for, for his coming. And that's another big theme because Isaiah, uh, the first 39 chapters, he's saying Babylon's coming, exile's coming, destruction, the temple will be destroyed, and so on. It's not stopping, and it's about to happen. And while we have this promise of how God will redeem and rescue, the awful is about to happen. I don't know what was going on you know, in Egypt in 1200 or 1300 AD. I don't know that off the top of my head. But if it's anything like our world full of sin, there's going to be some sort of awful that's happening. And we think in our lives as Christians here in, in this day and age, there is all sorts of awful that happens as well. And all of us, no matter where we find ourselves in the timeline of history, on account of our sin, on account of the reality of, of suffering and death in our lives, we long for Christ to come. And we wonder, why not yet? Why not yet? And a big question that you asked throughout the sermon, that I believe is, is what you're pointing to now as, as the problem that, that, you're, that you have, that you laid out in front of us is, has God abandoned us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess this could be a common question we would ask ourselves, whether it was Isaiah's time or this Christian artist a thousand years ago or us now while we're waiting. and We weren't there at Jesus' birth. It can very much, you know, there, there is that question. Where is our Lord? Has he abandoned us? Yeah, and, we'll, and we can uh, rebrand that question. He said, where is our Lord? Or does God still love me? Does he care? Has he forgotten me? Right. He's forget- yeah. All there, we express that that idea of God's uh, seeming abandonment in our lives in a variety of ways. And so I really wanted to capture that with that one question. Something else I really liked in your sermon, you brought up the suffering servant quite a bit, referring to Jesus. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about? suffering servant and where that comes from and, and why we can call Jesus our suffering servant. Uh, yeah, this comes from Isaiah and especially around chapters 52 and 53. And those would be the readings for Good Friday. And so we'll be back in Isaiah, especially on Good Friday. And we hear of Yahweh's servant and what's distinctive about this servant. Uh, he suffers. He suffers on account of the people around him. And this servant, he is like a shepherd, and he's also like a lamb that does not open its mouth. And as Isaiah describes this servant, you can't help but think of he's speaking of Christ. It's so cool because when you were giving us the gospel in your sermon, you know you had mentioned how the suffering servant Jesus has acted for you and had acted for Isaiah and for the artist who made the painting. Um, and then you started, you mentioned our ascended Lord, the King Jesus, he'll return for you. And that that's so cool, too, is just we can call our Lord both the suffering servant, but then he's our ascended king. And it seems contradictory, right? But 
that's who our God is. Absolutely. And that he has acted for Isaiah and for, and for us. And he has still more action to complete. And that is going to be his return. And he has not abandoned us, even if it feels that way or or it looks that way when we look around at at all the sin around us. Right, right. I think maybe another good moment in the church to think about, you know, has God abandoned us is when we celebrate the ascension. And you you have the reading, right? He ascends into heaven, a cloud covers him, and the disciples are kind of what now, right? And even as Christians here, we we live on the other side of the ascension, and there's something really profoundly beautiful to when you celebrate the Lord's Supper in that same service. That Lord who's ascended, he is sacramentally present there in the bread and wine, his body and blood for you. And before Jesus' ascension, he promised that he would be with us always. And it seems like that's not the case because then he ascends. But then you mentioned it right there in communion. Yes. He's there for you. Yeah. And he is still with us always, mysteriously, um, all-powerfully. And he is not just with us in spirit. He is with us according to his divine and his human nature. He is physically present while we don't see or feel or recognize always. He has not abandoned us. I was listening to a podcast this week and it just talked about how every breath that we breathe is from God and literally by his spirit, he's giving us each of our breath. That's kind of just a cool image to think of how our Lord is so intimately tied to us that every breath that we take is, is literally from, from him. He's in us. He's with us in all things, even when it doesn't seem that way. Absolutely. Is there anything else about the sermon that you'd like to mention or about the image? I don't think so. I think just in general, how do we come across these images for this Advent series? We just kind of did some internet searching and just kind of picked them out and plugged them in. Yeah. I was wondering about this one. So this was just from a search. Yeah, I was looking for uh, pieces of art of of Mary and Jesus. That was kind of what I was aiming my search towards. And this is one of the ones that came up. And and part of doing this Sunday series, when you have these images, sometimes we're just kind of planting a flag. And there's something nice to it, or the expression, you paint yourself in a corner and you got to get yourself out. It, it I think it just helps with the sermon process. Sometimes that like I am forcing myself to deal with this image and to deal with this text. And I'm doing this, you know, in the weeks leading up to Christmas. And so I think it can help with the, uh, the sermon process, some of the creativity. And I hope it was a, a benefit to our congregation years. Well, very good. Well, for those listening, this is another one of our double feature podcast episodes. Because um, not only did we have, did I have the pleasure of listening to Pastor's Sermon on Sunday, but we also had our midweek Advent service. So... Surprise, we actually have a second or a third person, if you're counting me. Uh, Vicar Allen is here with us today. Hi, Vicar. Hi, Deaconess. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing excellent. Thank you. So we are going to discuss your sermon from actually today because we're recording um, on Wednesday. Um, and you just preached at the 12 o'clock service and you're about to the 7 o'clock. Um, and instead of images of Mary and Jesus Jesus that we had on Sundays for our Wednesday service, we have been talking about unsung women of the Old Testament. So tell us who you have um, and about the reading that your sermon was based on. So the text of my sermon was 1 Kings chapter 1, 
where we're introduced to Bathsheba, who was the mother of King Solomon, or the son that uh, reigned after King David. Yes, and this is an interesting reading because when we think of Bathsheba, we of course think of the sin of adultery of David and Bathsheba. But this is later on. Um, David is older. He is dying. And uh, Bathsheba has a conversation with him. She, she talks to him. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So David at his old age, um, his one of his sons, Adonijah, announced himself, announces himself as the next king after David. So there's automatically a conflict that arose. Um, according to God's promise, Bathsheba's son, Solomon, was going to be the next king of Israel. Yet Adonijah announced himself as king. And so the prophet Nathan comes to Bathsheba and reminds her of God's promise that your son Solomon is going to be the, the next king and you should go and speak to King David and to remind him of these things. After Bathsheba tells King David, reminds him, I guess, um, that Solomon will be taking his throne after he dies, um, she says this really interesting line, and this is a big part of your sermon, and, and this is from verse 31. She bows her face to the ground and pays homage to the king and says, May my lord King David live forever. Can you... Tell us what exactly that means, because he's, like I said earlier, he's about to die. He's in his old age. Why does she say this? That is what's so intriguing about this text is she, she says the statement uh, while he's going to die, and that ended up being the focus of uh, my sermon, is that how is God's will happening in the midst of this, uh, as the midst of this? Um, we know that God's will is happening. Um, Solomon it has uh, is going to be the next one to take the throne um, because we know David is going to die. And yet she says this blessing that may he live forever. And I, I go down this, how is God's will intertwined with David living forever? And I bring it with our understanding of how Jesus was born into the house of David, how God's will was being fulfilled through this, that through David's throne, there is going to be a king that's going to come into his family, and that is the king. A greater king than King David. Right. Um, and in that, he's going to establish his reign on this earth, um, and that reign is, is going to be forever. So really, Bathsheba, though I don't think she realizes this at the time, uh, I mean, when she's saying this, this blessing, she's pointing to the Messiah, to the Christ. Right. So her statement at that moment must be that, hey, King David live forever. May his name re remain forever. Sure. Like she's so, kind of a, like a long live the king kind of idea. Yeah. But I'm just saying that now we can read this verse and this is ultimately pointing to long live the king, Jesus, that he will live forever, that, he, you know, his, he will reign Right. Hit, hit, right. She, Am I reading this right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. And Vicka, this is something we talked about with the sermon that it's one of those moments where uh, a character in scripture says something, but doesn't see the full depth and irony of it until you have the perspective of the full story of salvation. And it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's one of those cool moments that you can play with as, as a preacher of, you know, Bathsheba says this in this moment, and yet there's so much more truth behind that statement. And so the king uh, coming into this world and, uh, you know, establishing his reign, um, through that same king, now we have life. And so uh, how does David live forever? How do we live forever is through this almighty king, through King Jesus. You know, it's funny. When when we were just talking about this, this made me think of uh, Psalm 110. And I'd care for any commentary from you too. Uh, but Psalm 110 was written by David. And this is when uh, he says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And Jesus like quotes that as well to the Yeah, I think that's the most Pharisees. quoted psalm in the New Testament. It is, yes. Yeah. Uh, and he like confused the pharisees because they had no idea how to answer that question yeah, whose lord is it but yeah. it is kind of interesting just thinking going back to first kings and we have uh this yeah the lord says to my lord um and you know Bathsheba is pointing to uh you know may my lord king david uh live forever yeah i don't know if we i don't know if the psalm came up in our discussions vicar uh, but certainly this idea of the connection of, of the of the thrones, I mean, that's part of the reason why we picked uh, the accompanying reading was the Matthew 1 genealogy is you work your way through um, from David through Solomon down to Jesus. And he is the descendant of this king. Yeah, had you chosen that Matthew, I mean, I know we chose the Old Testament readings, but I wasn't sure about like the New Testament, if that was purposeful or how'd you chose Matthew? Yeah, so uh, a few weeks prior to Advent, Vicar and I sat down, and uh, this was coming out of some of our planning meetings, and we knew on Sundays we were going to be looking at these images of Jesus and his mother Mary, and we had the idea of, back when we were planning for the Advent and Christmas season, of doing something with the unsung women in the Old Testament. And so, uh, yeah, Deaconess, it was well, you, me, Vicar, Olivia, we were in our meeting together, and uh, we picked these women out, and so now we have to kind of say, okay, what readings do we go with? And so... Uh, we settled on First Kings, and we wanted to always have some sort of New Testament reading to accompany it. And that seemed to be uh, an appropriate one to tie together this idea of the kingship. Definitely. No, it, it's great. And uh, it's a good reminder that even the genealogies in Scripture are the word of the Lord, right? It's, uh, it's important. You can see how, especially in particular, this passage, Matthew 1, points to uh, God's promise being fulfilled through Jesus. So... In your sermon, so and you touched on this briefly earlier, but a big thing you talked about was God's will. Um, you mentioned thy will be done from the Lord's Prayer. Um, so I have to ask you then, what is God's will for us? God's will for us is all of us to live forever with him. Um, that is why Jesus was sent into his world, so that he could uh, defeat the sin, defeat uh, death, defeat the devil, so all of us could live uh, forever with him, fully resurrected, just like our Lord. And so the resurrection shows us a little glimpse of what God's uh, full will is for humanity. Um, without sin, a full restoration, and to be surrounded by his throne, um, and to be his uh, children. While that will is happening, God's will will happen and yet we also live in the reality in this world that there are some people that don't want God's will to happen. And so that's how I kind of tied in with the first Kings text is 
showing that there are some people that are standing up against God's will. Um, they're trying to find new ways. They're scheming against it. We we read about Adonijah, how he was plotting with uh, some officials and priests to become the next king. Uh, and yet God's will was still done. Um, and that could be even in our lives. Uh, there could be many deceitful things. The devil can work in unique ways uh, to come and distract us and to make us question, is God's will actually going to happen in our lives? Will we get to live with Christ forever. And my sermon wanted to focus that and reassure everyone that yes, that is why King Jesus came into this world to establish his reign so that we would live with him forever. And we see God accomplishing all of this through these very imperfect, sinful people, right? Um, we see this with David. We see this through Bathsheba. Um, the other unsung women that we talk to, all of them full of sin. I mean, this genealogy of Jesus, we... It's a stellar cast in there. It's a stellar cast. I mean, we have Tamar there, um, Judah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, some really bad, ugly, shameful sins in there. Um, But the Lord is still using these people as his instruments to accomplish his will, which definitely I think is comforting to us that we too are his instruments and he's using us um, in the midst of all of the sin to yeah, Vicar, accomplish his purposes. Yeah, Vicar, that reminds me of something else. Uh, we talked about, you know, Bathsheba appears, but Nathan the prophet's also on the scene. And, you know, as soon as you say the name Bathsheba, I think we're thinking back to uh, the sin of adultery, as you said, deaconess. And that's what I loved about this reading of First Kings is a reminder of, you know, these people are real people. They're not just static characters on the page, but there's there's more that happens in their lives and to see uh, God at work in these things. And we see Bathsheba and Nathan, the prophet working together because they know what God's promise is. And there's politics, there's intrigue. Are they conspiring? Are they not all this sort of stuff? It's so human, the situation. And that's a reminder of our Lord enters into our humanity and our situation and all the messiness of this. And he's here to redeem us. He's here to rescue us from sin, death, and devil, as Vicar said. Very good. I have one more question. You can either keep this in or keep this out. Yeah, I figured this is especially pointed at pastor because I know you bring this up a lot in Bible class. So here, when we're talking about God's will, this is very gospel, right? This is all about what Jesus is doing for us. You know, he, I mean, rescuing us from sin, death, and the devil. Um, yet in Bible class, you also just say a lot like um, God's will is God's law. So I guess I'm just trying to reconcile this in my head. Yeah, no, your question is really good, Deaconess. And I think it's, we're dealing with two different parts of the small catechism. In the Lord's Prayer, we're dealing with uh, God's saving work and in, in his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, but when I talk in Bible class about, hey, we, we're to do God's will, it's referring to the law. The law is the will of God for creation that takes us back to the to the Ten Commandments. I think it's more uh, which place in the catechism are we emphasizing when we can use that expression, God's will. And that's a good reminder by your question that uh, just because we, we throw out a term in a, a theological conversation, there's there's just different emphasis and baggage with it. So there's a, distinct, there's a distinction here just between law and gospel and how we're using it. Yeah, and so maybe we can say in the Lord's Prayer, it's referring to God's will is, is God's saving work that he makes sure takes place. 
Uh, the ten As opposed com- to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, it's God's will for how he orders his creation, and the commandments are in place to keep that order in place. And so it's how he's working through laws, how is he working through gospel. There you go. So this is the third week of Advent, and next Sunday is O Antiphon Sunday. So there's not a sermon like what we've been discussing right now, but we still plan to have an episode about... Uh, just the antiphons and the different readings and the devotions that are a part of that service, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and I and I hope uh, our listeners will tune into that episode because we are going to tie together a lot of the themes that we've been building on through our Sunday sermons, through our Wednesday sermons, and as they head into this fourth Sunday of Advent and even into the Christmas services, there's been a lot of intentional thought and in, in just how these themes will kind of weave together. And so this Sunday will be kind of exciting to see a lot more that come to the fore. Well, this wraps up the episode for today. Thank you for listening to our discussion. In case you missed today's sermon or you'd like to listen to it again, the link to the sermon is in the show notes, and you can also find it on our church website, stjohndublin.org. And you guys, we really love it when you submit questions. So please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Thank you guys for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. Thanks, Deaconess. Bye. Bye. Pink candles. Pink rose, it's the same thing. You can say pink. If you're snooty, you have to say rose. So pink works for me. <laughs> <laughs>